0: Hello. <laughs> is is this on? Yeah. All good. <laughs> I've, I've you know I've, I've been in three or four Zoom meetings today, and on various levels I've had that conversation for at least five or six minutes. You know that, that's that's my life now. At the beginning of every Zoom call, is this working? You know, is this all working yet? Is it on? Can you see my screen? Yeah. And then and then somebody I started talking to they actually switched internet connections because their internet weren't working properly. So. I I actually thought halfway through it, it, this was a pretty important meeting. If we if we can't figure out a way to get their internet connection to work,
1: what do you do next? Forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're also used to it now though, surely this whole being online is a necessity kind of thing.
0: Yeah, but it's it it feels different now. It feels like There used to be friction for a meeting, right? You used to have to arrange a meeting and then you actually had to turn up to a place. You had to drive to it or walk to it. And there there was so much friction involved in creating a meeting that most of us could not have that many meetings. But now it's so easy that people just email you and just say, oh, have you got five minutes to go on a meeting? You know, quote unquote meeting that turns into 20 minutes, 30 minutes. It's weird times.
1: Yeah. Well, I've been trying to, whenever that happens, try and keep the email thread going, saying, well, is there anything that we can resolve over email? And that's my, the best advice I can offer to just avoid that. (laughs) But some people just insist, like, oh, no, I really need to just talk about it out loud, which is fine.
0: Well, I bet this is a good place to start because I bet when you used to work as a designer for the co-op or a designer for the bbc you were always in meetings right
1: yeah i mean that that was that is the job really is surfing the wave of endless meetings which i guess was kind of the thing that spurred me to do the workshop tactics project um but the, uh, the thing about meetings is that they feel like a, like a necessary compulsion of these large organisations. And yeah. it's kind of up to you whether you... thing with me. To, I, yeah, I just, I just got sick of it. That's quite the honest truth of it. Like, I just got so... so I hate meetings. I That's why I made
0: Workshop Tactics. It's, it's, a, it's a trade-off, isn't it? Because you went from working as a designer for people like BBC and co-op and big organizations where it's, it's difficult to get things through because of the level of meetings. Um, but I guess the ego value is high for, for that kind of thing. Because even when I say it now, it sounds, it sounds pretty cool that you used to work for BBC. So d- did you have to kind of make a trade-off between those two things? Was it the meetings that stopped you from doing that kind of work and starting your own business?
1: Well, the, the meetings, I think they become, well, I guess they become like this habitual thing that you also, at first, you're like, oh, this is cool, I'm in a meeting at the BBC or I'm in a meeting at the co-op and I'm, you know, getting the lay of the land and then the grass grows between your toes quite quickly and then suddenly you find yourself just in meetings all the time.
0: Mm.
1: It's almost like, um, I don't know, you just get like, what's it called when, uh, calcified, you're just in the ocean for so long that you just turn into like a calcium rock and you don't even realize it. But by, by the time you do it, it's too late, but no, the meetings, like the, the, the counter to meetings is to not have them obviously. Um, and to do things asynchronously. And that's definitely becoming more prevalent now with being remote. Um, but the counter to that, which I really tried to push was to just bring structure to them. Like that was That's the crux of workshop tactics is to, instead of having a meeting, don't call it a meeting, call it a workshop, or actually don't call it anything at all. Yeah. And just invite some structure to it, say, okay, well, at the end of this, we're going to try and get to this outcome. And then doing fun little exercises or things that make people have the conversations they might not otherwise have had is really important. But at the BBC that, and the co-op, any large organization, really, these two aren't special. The the meetings are really just a symptom of the culture and the kind of political bureaucracy. And as a designer in a large organization like that, you find yourself, well, I found myself spending more energy trying to um, create change in the culture, either in in the immediate team or department, than actually doing the stuff that I signed up to do, which is design and making you know, useful products and services for people that helps change their life in a positive way. And there's a tipping point where it's like, well, I'm spending most of my working day pissed off. <laughs> so, it, you know, and in the words of Derek Sivers, if, if it if it doesn't make you happy, then stop doing it. Yeah. Um, so that's what I did. I stopped. So that
0: leads us into workshop tactics. So we mentioned it a few times. You're going to have to give us the elevator pitch of what Workshop Tactics is.
1: Well, it's it's an easy one and a hard one. It's a load of Workshop recipe cards in a box. Um, And that's fine. But what the value it really has is that it creates this, I guess, aura that you bring in this into a meeting and it changes the dynamic a bit. It's like, okay, suddenly we've got something that's going to help us make this meeting better. So the tagline is digital meetings, design better products. And they're just a bunch of useful exercises that help you step through understanding problems, coming up with ideas, making decisions, that kind of thing. And it came about because obviously going through um, my career, workshops were a big part of that. And I always saw how, you know, my mentors were doing them sort of out of the back of their pocket, without really explaining where they got them from or how they knew about them. And I just saw it as just magical, and I wanted to know how they knew how to run all these workshops. But it was only through going um, through that journey of experiencing poor meeting and poor meetings and seeing how workshops can like completely like change someone's outlook on the potential that you can have when you're working together yeah. in a room, um, and that, that was quite um, exciting for me. So I wanted to bring all those ideas together in one in one box. And it kind of turned into more than that. It's kind of a side project that got out of control, I suppose, because it just started out as something which was, well, what happens if I design a product? And then I went through the motions of doing what I would do in my day job, which is validating the idea, doing a landing page and sending ads to it, and seeing if anyone you know, signed up to see if they're interested. And then there, it kind of, like, snowballed from there, and I went through an alpha and a beta phase. I don't know where... I, they're, I, they're think, ones, but...
0: I think there's there's a cooler story about workshop tactics as well, that you designed the whole box, and you got them all printed, and you sourced all that kind of thing. And you were doing a lot of things that I imagine you didn't have a clue what you were doing with them. And you'd never done them before, I bet.
1: Well, that was, that was 90% of the fun of it, was... Like making this happen, like this is. I had no idea that I this was possible until you kind of start poking away at how to make it happen.
0: Um, so where did you even start with that? How did you even? So, you had this vision and you thought, Right, I want to make a deck of cards. How did you even decide where to draw the line? Do, do you know what I mean? Because I know on those boxes as well on the inside, in fact, hold it up to the camera and just open up the box on the inside with the inside printing and everything they're, they're beautiful boxes so Such- well, th- that inside print well that inside print yeah there's
1: a little there's a little secret dude in there
0: <laughs> and then there's some on the inside of the lid as well isn't there uh
1: not on the inside of that one oh, no, but-
0: no, i thought there was but all that attention to detail how did you even work out that any of that was possible when you didn't even know if you could make a box
1: well, luckily I did a graphic design degree, so I had some like background in print design, so I wasn't completely green to it, which I think um, came at an, at an advantage. Um, did you know any printers?
0: Did you even know where to start with that? Were, were you thinking, am I going to get them printed in China? Am I going
1: to... Oh, yeah, that was like the biggest thing on my mind for months. I mean the, What I started out doing was I got them printed locally in the UK... Just like I said, get me the cheapest quality you can at the cheapest price. Yeah. And these are what I pre-sold as the beta to get feedback on. And the pre-sale of these meant that they got the final thing for free. So it was almost like a reverse Kickstarter, like a self-reverse Kickstarter. Is that a way of explaining <laughs> it? Um, and that was really good. But the only problem with that was the, the feedback loop is so long on a physical product. Mm. Like it took... When you, when you get this in the post, you're like, oh, this is cool. You look through all the cards and you're like, oh, that's neat. They've got, like, different things on. There's a nice look at them. And the feedback's only useful when someone, I guess, uses them in anger, which is to say that they find a situation where they think, oh, I'm going to try and use workshop tactics. And, and the main aspect of them is the content, and it was – so difficult and so long to like get meaningful feedback so it took bloody ages to get, get the product itself into a state that I felt was um, of the quality that I was aiming for but whilst all that was going on I spoke to I felt like you know what it really felt like kind of big boy business stuff like going and speaking to manufacturers and emailing them and inquiring about minimum order quantity prices and stuff like that Um, and so I did, I just emailed people, I called people up and said, Hey, how, how much would it cost to print X thousand number of these decks? And then they'd ask all the questions like, well, what thickness of card, what finish, what, how many cards? And, uh, and then that started to create the question of, okay, well, I need to like decide on this stuff. If I'm going to get a good price to work with because you need to know what your price is in order to work out how much you're going to sell it for and if you're going to include postage and you know, all the rest of it. Um, so so I,
0: Brian's just asked a question that I was literally about to ask as well. So how long did it take to get you from that initial idea right to the end? And I know you had some problems with the, the packs as well towards the end, didn't you? When you thought that yeah. it was over the finish line.
1: Yeah, uh, I think... We're twenty twenty one now. They came out. If I work. Back, I'm terrible with dates, so I just have to work backwards from what's happened recently. So they, the, the shipment which came from China in the end, uh, arrived August last year in the midst of the pandemic, um, and then I think the March of twenty twenty was when I like paid for them, like a big chunk of cash to buy all of the, I think I ordered 2,000 decks. Mm. And it was the Christmas of 2019 that I was proofreading the shit out of them for like so long. I was just proofreading constantly and they kept finding mistakes. And I was just like, I can't believe, I can't believe this. I have to read all 54 cards again to find even more mistakes. So working backwards from that, It was July of 2019 that I sent out the beta decks. And then it was, I think, February 2019, I sent out the alpha deck, which I have no idea where. Oh, there's an alpha deck here. This is an alpha deck. This is the first version. Um, So we're looking at three or four years here, right? So where did I get up to January? Uh, Yeah, so like... December, no, October 2018 was when I had the idea. So working backwards from that. Um, and it was just, it's one of those ideas that I couldn't shake. So I knew that I had to like do it. Um, mm. And it got to the point where I was just enjoying learning so much about the process of making it, that that was the thing that was leading me to do it more than anything. Like making a physical product was almost a bit of an antithesis to the work I've been doing over the past ten years, which is digital design, it's completely different making something that when you pull the trigger on, you know, the print order, that's it. You can't change it. I mean there are mistakes in the final thing, which um very few, but and I've probably mostly forgotten what they are now, thankfully. Yeah, Yeah, long, long old journey. And Was it worth it? Well, yeah, yeah, because now I've got, um, you know, they're selling still, which is good, and I've built a community around them, and it's meant that I, I could quit work as a designer full-time, so now I'm doing Workshop Tactics full-time, which is really cool. But I would never have predicted that that was the case. But I definitely enjoyed the journey, which is the most important thing, isn't it? Like, now I've got it, it's like, well, whatever, but the journey of making it um, was really cool. And, and the coolest thing about it is now – Now I know how to do it. I found the manufacturer. I know how to get them printed. I've got a warehouse doing fulfillment for them. I can make another one in like a quarter of the time. Mm. And I can collaborate with other people who have experience in other things that can help me make new decks. And I can bring those into the community. And yeah, that's the exciting thing for me now is how to like now grow this kind of brand around um, the cards because... People just love having physical things. That's the crazy thing I've learned.
0: Yeah, yeah, they they do. That was going to be the next thing I asked because all of these are available on your website, aren't they? As mm-hmm. In a digital form. And most people wouldn't think, or after you're saying that story of how long it took you, most people would have gotten a bit through that process and then thought, fuck this, this is not worth it and just stuck with the digital and gone all in on digital and probably made more and more digital content. But you stuck with the idea of having the digital content for free and then making a deck, a physical mm-hmm. deck. What what made you keep doing that when it must have been a lot easier to just say, no, let, let's not bother with a physical deck?
1: Well, I think it, it always was the physical deck. I think putting it online for free was... It's like letting someone test drive the car in a way. Like yeah. if you get to see it and try it out, you trust that it's of high quality, so you're more likely to buy it. And it's true. I, I ran an experiment, and when I put the tactics on the website for free, I got more sales. And the benefit as well is the SEO value of people searching for yeah. ideation workshops, and it pops up, and then they see that, oh, I can get all these in a beautiful Uh, well-designed physical form I'm going to buy them and the thing about physical things is that I if we were in the office which we will be eventually one day or some of us uh, there are other benefits as well I can give you that and that has some weird aura about it that holds more value than a web link it's 400 gsm map finish so it feels nice to touch and hold and it you value a, a, a beauty. We value beauty, beautiful things, um, and that that gives the content itself value. Um, and they're shareable, and you can move them around on your desk and plan away from your screen. So yeah, there's there's so many benefits to physical that I think we kind of forget that a lot of the time. There's a reason why vinyl's coming back, is because we love to hold the music, right?
0: I, I think it's even more powerful now as well, isn't it? That we're living in such a digital world. It, you know, we, I, as I was joking about was the Zoom meeting thing at the beginning of the day, at the beginning of the podcast, we we're just all digital so so much. Even all, all of us who weren't digital previously a year ago, now we've been forced into Zoom meetings. And I and I was I've always been a big proponent of physical stuff too. Uh, and I've done a couple of campaigns with clients before that have been purely physical, and they always do really well because people love that that tactile thing, especially mm. if it's different as well. I, I've done stuff with with clients before where it was it, it, it was a promotion for uh, actually kind of workshops, not what you were doing, but workshops in a different industry, and we made <laughs> we made a, a, a Tiddlywinks game like a a physical tiddlywinks game and it and it just came in a pack and the actual setup of it, it was just two two nicely printed a5 cards it wasn't that fancy but it came with the little bits of the tiddlywinks stuff so you had the actual little tiddlywinks to play with and then you had the rules in there and it came in this fancy bright glossy shiny blue envelope like nothing else you would have got through the post that day and it's just it's that that discovery isn't it with with it with the physical print stuff It's why apple make their products that their, their boxes the way that they do it's why you have to hold it and it slowly slides out yeah. like that doesn't it it's that really nice feeling that that triple walled or double walled box that they've got because it's that discovery of something inside that you just you cannot replicate with a, a, a digital product at all.
1: No, and, and, and there's something also special about physical products in that you can you can share them more easily in certain respects. Like you yeah. can't you, and status is the, the thing that I'm talking about here. In that people can post this a photo of this on Twitter or Instagram, but you can't really do the same thing with a, a website. There isn't like a a, a public-facing kind of social status. Like if you have this in your on your office it's a bizarre, a bit of a bizarre looking out of place thing that people are going to pick up and inspect. Mm. And that was kind of um, a work backwards from that principle, which is this has to be remarkable. And that is the marketing kind of strategy behind a good product is making it stand out like, you know, Seth Godin's purple cow. Um, and you can't do that with, I suppose you can in some respects, if you make, you know, a website that's not like the others, but there is something when I, I spoke to a lot of my workshop tactics customers over the summer and the thing they said about this was quote unquote, I don't know why I just like physical things. And that's the kind of prevailing answer. Uh, we, we can't really put it into words, but I think it must go back to you know, being cave men and women that we, 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 we've grown up or we've evolved to have physical things and we resonate with physical things. We, we've got uh, fingers, haven't we? We've got
0: fingers and the fingers have got sensors <laughs> on the end of them. So we, yeah. we, we want to use them.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a sense. Exactly, yeah. Um,
0: yeah. But, uh,
1: sh- go on. Go on. I was going to say that the, to answer the question, like, why did I make a physical product was because I wanted to. <laughs> I wanted to make something because it was fun to make. And it just so happened to turn into something viable, you know, and it was also a lesson in branding. It was a lesson in marketing. It was a lesson in logistics. It was a lesson in um, working, you know, I worked with an illustrator. One of my good friends, Dave Hill, he illustrated them. Just every aspect of it I enjoyed so much. And you just can't, you don't get that when you're making digital stuff.
0: Yeah. 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 You're completely right um, on, on the physical physical print stuff the only thing that we've ever really got printed at genius division is ridiculous business cards and well we haven't done them for a year or two now what's the point but even though we barely ever gave them out there's just this thing about having a business card that is like nobody else's business card uh and uh, and this is just like my favorite scene from american psycho where, where they're just poring over those business cards and the different fields and stuff. We always do. Well, I always design a ridiculously thick business card that can barely be bent. That's the made, out, <laughs> yeah. That's made out of paper that don't fit in anybody's wallet, and it's like 900 GSM. I think I did ones at 1200 GSM one year. Wow. Uh, and we we've tried letter pressing and things like that before. Letter pressing is my personal favorite because it's tactile again, mm. and people can rub the fingers over, and it just every time somebody gets it, you give them it. In a meeting or a networking event or whatever, and they go, "Ooh, every yeah. time, ooh," uh, and it's just it's that it's that little moment there that that intangible moment that you just you cannot buy. And the, there's there's ways to do ways to do it in digital, but it's much easier to do with print. Uh, I, I I I um I think why your product does so well. And I, I I got it through the post as well, and, and I was like, ooh, this is nice. Oh, look at that; it's printed it on inside, uh, and things like that. I think why it's done so well is because it's got it's got soul. Uh, you you look at it, and it, the the illustrations are nice and playful, and it's all lovely designed and all nice nicely designed, and the box is really nice, and everything about it is nice. And I i I did a talk just before the whole coronavirus thing kicked off in March. And I've just re-recorded I'm going to upload it to my YouTube channel at some point over the next couple of days. And the whole talk was about soul in design Hmm. and how I was specifically talking about digital design and how now with digital design, by us using these words like wireframes and UX and UI and all of this systematic wording we're losing the idea of soul in design particularly in digital and we we, we we're putting a layer between what a designer used to be like like you was with that product where you are the the one the one source of the idea and you had a vision and you was going to complete it no matter what and it all came out it was your personality into a product we're losing that now in digital but when we do lose that we lose that soul of of a website and we all know a website you'll know a website as well where you just go to it and it's just nice or mm. it makes you smile or it's it's got a funny joke in it or or whatever it's just got that little bit of extra something it's not always extra design but it's extra something and i think we, we're starting to lose that in the way that we're designing digital products and i think i think it's a shame i
1: think it's a damn shame yeah, I mean, that that was kind of one of the things that drew me to making it was, like I said before, it's the antithesis to what digital and UX design is. Like, to be honest, design in UX now is a commodity. Like, if you want to make a website, there's rarely a reason to design one now. You just need to know what you want to say and you fire up a Squarespace website. Um, if you want to create a new website, you're better off just grabbing a sort of component someone's already already designed. And so the creativity really comes down to what well, I think is, is content is like the last bastion of creativity for a digital designer when everything else is pretty much, you know, web a websites are almost a solved problem now, uh, in terms of like, you know, getting a website up to help you do a job, And. Uh, I know what you mean about the soul. Like I think when you come across a website that someone's clearly just used a single HTML file and no CSS, like they, I love those websites where people just don't give a shit. They've just done a HTML website, just using H1s and P tags and that's their website. And there's almost something pure in that because they've focused just on the content and it gives it a soul in a way in that sense but let's go to the other end of the spectrum the websites where people have just gone completely overboard with interactions and fun little playful things that's the soul coming through as well like i don't know if you've seen the the poolside fm website um it's like someone's recreated an old uh version of windows um, in a website but it's all centered around playing like um, vaporwave retro tunes through the old through an. They must use like a Winamp thing looking thing, and it's just like this website has got so much so much effort has gone in to make this website so needlessly beautiful that it does emanate something from it. Yeah, but I think the thing we're talking about here is that intangible feeling you get from the senses of your your fingers, like when you. When you sit in a sofa in a sofa shop, don't know when anyone's done that in a while, when you feel like a a, a velvet sofa, you're quite literally getting an emotional response in your brain from that feeling. That's a delightful feeling, right? That's pleasure. And you can't, you just can't get that with digital. It doesn't exist. We have to get pleasure in different ways, either from, I don't know, a little popping animation saying, good job, you've got. 10 points or a little notification is a different kind of pleasure, a bit more dangerous one, I think. Um, mm. And when you're optimizing for that, you just end up like destroying people's dopamine receptors, don't you? <laughs> I, I,
0: think, I think there is ways to do it in digital, but I, I think the way I picture uh, this idea of soul is when you can obviously see, that there's a designer imprint on it. So it, it might still use a framework or whatever, but you can see the designer underneath it and you can see the imprint of what they've done. They might have done a funny little logo that's got a hidden message in it or something like that. Or they might have a funny little footer on there that says something daft or, do you know what I mean? That There's just yeah, like, yeah. A, there's a signature somewhere on it and it, it, I I often see it the most in personal websites. I don't see it very often in commercial websites because it's a it's a tough trade off. Because you've got to try and convince your client that there's value in in this kind of intangible, you know, brand brand awareness and this intangible brand joking or or, or whatever you want to call it. You've got to convince your client, and that's just it's just a battle not even worth fighting a lot of the time. So you don't see it in a lot of commercial stuff. But when you start to go to people's personal websites, you start to see that kind of personality. And I genuinely think, just like you said, a website with just HTML on it, just default serif font black text, (laughs) but the the text is charming or or delightful to read or or whatever, more often than not, uh, that's better than you know half of the commercial websites that you find because it's got more personality, and more important, you sit and read it for some reason. You you could find yourself you've just read a thousand words and it's the content,
1: isn't it? It all comes back to like, is the content you? Is it authentically you? Are you write? Are you brave enough to write what you want to write, or are you going to try and conform to the mean average of the internet, which is hello welcome to my website i'm a designer thank you very much like
0: mm. you know
1: you, you can do you can do better than that And i think that's that's the flag i'll always wave it's like if you strip away everything from a website if you strip away all your fancy frameworks and your css and all the rest of it you are left with the words and that's why i push the kind of content angle so much and why i'm really focused on trying to be a better writer is that's all we have at the end of the day like Workshop tactics is words printed on card and websites are words displayed on a on a screen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: so worth worth remembering.
0: That's that's why I switched my website to a notion website, because I wanted to focus on the words. Uh, I, I was getting too too head up on the idea of designing a fancy website. And it's that's for fifteen years stopped me from designing a fancy website, knowing that I want to design a fancy website. So I just thought, sod it! I'm gonna now now Notion's viable to build a website on. I wanted the thing I wanted to get to the most is the least amount of friction to be able to make content and the least amount of friction to turn my website into this big archive of everything that I've ever created that's gone before me that's gone in the future of me, so I can have like this legacy thing that that builds over time a, a real personal website like Siver's website. That is it's just full of hundreds of thousands of things that are just peppered all over the website. And the design is secondary to that. As long as it's useful, as long as it's easy to browse, that's all that really matters. So that's why I went down the route of Notion. And, and I noticed you as well. You've started blogging daily as well. Is, is that is that part of the drive to try and get better at writing?
1: Yeah, it's... You know, coming back to the idea of personal website, I wanted to have, I guess, a little corner of the internet where you can yeah. set up shop a little bit and, like, mow the lawn and, like, maintain just a little part of the internet that's yours. I quite like that idea. And I think publishing, writing every day, you know, I could just write that in a journal not publish it. But the almost the public accountability of writing every day makes me do it. It sounds ridiculous. Like, surely you have the discipline to write for yourself and not show anyone, but. Well, not nice. to me.
0: It doesn't sound ridiculous to me because that's the. that I, I live and breathe
1: that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've taken the challenge of, what well, a self imposed challenge of writing a blog every day, which was difficult, but it's gone f- much easier now. And I've been using this um, thing called the X effect, which I'm sure many people are familiar with already, but if you're not, I don't know who invented it, but I heard about it from um, a story about how Jerry Seinfeld used it, the comedian. Who who doesn't know Jerry Seinfeld? Um, and he he would put a cross on a day in his calendar um, for every day that he wrote jokes. And the idea was that he, he, he would never break the chain. So he just got into the habit of getting the reps in so to speak, um, for writing jokes. And over you know the course of 10 years, if you're writing jokes every day, you're going to be pretty good at writing jokes, right? Um, and I did a little bit more digging into why that works. And apparently, statistically, after 49, 50-ish days, if you do something um, every day for that amount of time, that's when the neural connections in your brain start to like solidify to make that a proper habit. And I've been going now, I think I'm about to hit day 36 tomorrow. And it's so weird. It's such a weird feeling like tomorrow. I know that I will write a blog post. It will just, it will just happen. I will it to happen. Like I wrote wrote a blog about um, this when I was at the two week mark, but like I will, if I have to get it done, I will. So I'll, I'll write a blog post on my phone whilst I'm walking the dog or I'll write one while I'm rocking my son to sleep or I'll write one whilst sitting on the toilet. Like, it doesn't matter, it gets done. Yeah. And that's it's it's quite nice to have like a, a flag in the day that you're always trying to hit. And if you complete that, it feels like you've scored the day. And it's honestly, it's the most satisfying feeling. And all the benefits that come from that are incredible, like just being able to publish your ideas means people see them and talk to you about them and uh, share them and you you then connect with other people and you get better at writing and your ideas become more clear to you and they kind of spur on other ideas. So I I, I can't recommend it enough, but I'm aware I've become really preachy when I get into a new thing, so I don't want to start throwing it around too much. But yeah, I'm loving it.
0: I really am i, yeah. I I'm, I'm the same i i become really preachy as well i i, I mean
1: i it's a i of recency bias isn't it like oh i just tried uh, this new thing and it's great you should do it and then a month later i'm not doing it <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, well uh, i i've done loads of daily challenges over the years i'm a big proponent of it i've got the daily visual thing it's the whole point of it i do visuals every day i don't write every day i've tried to do it before and i've never stuck at the habit i'm considering doing it again but I'm not sure yet. Try,
1: try the X effect, honestly. It's yeah, it's, there's
0: something magical about it. But I, th- I think we had a little conversation about this on Twitter, and I think what's really interesting about this is we we, we were talking about quality, wasn't we? Mm. Um,
1: versus quantity.
0: Yeah, the, this this idea of quantity versus quality, or uh, you can only pick one. And I've long since believed, and I can't remember who said it first. It certainly wasn't me, but quality falls out of quantity and you need the quantity to get to the quality otherwise it just takes you too long it literally it takes too long there isn't enough years in your life to get good at something without quantity and when you think of anybody famous athletes famous actors so anybody with a skill who's well known for the skill they have put hundreds of thousands of hours into that skill to get that good and it just isn't the thing that people like hearing because, well, it's hard. Uh, mm. you, you know, it, it's, it is hard. So I often hear, I tweet it every now and again, the quality quantity thing. And the kind of replies I often get is, well, what if I want to make a quality thing instead of just a thing? As if there's a difference. As if, as if making something shit is not part of the process do you know what i mean as if there is no value in making something bad as if you can suddenly go from i am making nothing to i will make an amazing thing what what do you think about that
1: well i was thinking about how like the whole daily thing is interesting because the people that seem to come out with like a banger out of nowhere every six months they haven't like woke up one day and then just done it. They've been working behind the scenes or what scene there is, but they've been doing that privately for the for all that time that they've not been present. I think the difference between I guess, you know, my my daily blog and your daily visual stuff versus people that are doing things seemingly sporadically is that we're just publishing every day. I think the people that seem to come out with quality as a you know one-off every so often they're just not publishing every day but they're still working every day i'm sure of it like you take an olympic athlete they spend 99 percent of their career training yeah and then it's only the one two or three races with the gold medals that actually count that they're remembered for and i think it's a it's an important thing to remember because
0: yeah because it it gives a fake a fake look at it doesn't it you think that that they're doing one quality thing every now and again but they're really not they are training every day like you said
1: yeah and it's this idea you know when he when he said to me that quality falls out of quantity that really clicked for me because i always saw well i always thought oh you, you have there's a trade-off here you're either doing a load of stuff not very well or you're doing one thing really well but really it's the it's the sum total of that quantity that leads you imagine take a stock uh, a stocks and shares graph you can either track it by minute and see it slowly go up or you can track it by 6 months and you just see the the those peaks and if you're publishing publicly every day you're going to see all the bad stuff but you see it gradually get better so i think it's just a matter of ego i suppose like are you humble enough to put out bad work Mm. and i think you learn more if you do put out bad work because you start to get a sense of what's working and what's not like there's nothing more i suppose i've got a bit of experience with this i used to do um like really kind of absurd animations on youtube like hand-drawn frame-by-frame animations (laughs) and they would take months and months and months like the last one i did or the last big one i did was oh i think maybe a minute and a half long and it took me a year to make you're not you're not not a guy who
0: makes solid fingers are you
1: no no but heavily inspired (laughs) i'm sure um i'm i was working on that like every i'd wake up at like six in the morning do three hours before work of animating like drawing frames and frames and frames of animation three hours every morning for months and months. And that was like the grind that you don't see. Mm. And then one day a video pops up on YouTube and there it is. Uh, and someone watches it and they breathe a laugh out of their nose a little bit and close it and that's it, it's done. <laughs> and like it's, it, it was doing that kind of work was like the most rewarding thing simultaneously unrewarding thing because it's such hard work for such a little payoff when you're i don't want to say competing but when you're seeing other videos that okay might probably funnier but took someone 10 minutes to make and so i really had to enjoy it for the craft of making like a crazy frame-by-frame animation but the point i'm trying to make is that you'd hear nothing for a year and then bam something would come out and it was of really high quality, I had hoped. Um, but that didn't just happen overnight. It was the underlying kind of hard work that, you know, waking up at six in the morning and learning how to draw pigeons and making them explode. And I'll have to send a link in there yeah. after this if you want to watch them.
0: Well, that, that's exactly the same thing as the Olympic athlete, isn't it? You were probably, yeah, put, probably so. You were putting more reps in, probably more than a daily rep on something that you released every couple of months it's just that like you said the public only see the one thing so they think that oh he knocked it out in a day or whatever but really you you know you were working on it more than every day you were working on it every couple of hours or something like that it is it's just the 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 shift of thinking cuz what you could have done with it if you wanted to still do the daily thing is you could have posted daily updates or something you could have posted a daily progress thing, a daily work in progress, and then you would have been publishing daily. But it was just the fact that you chose not to do that. You were still working daily on it. But it's all hidden, isn't it? It's interesting. Yeah, that,
1: that raises an interesting question of like working transparently versus opaquely. Like the, the nature of the animations is that there's always, well, my animations in particular, there was always some bizarre turn of events or crazy thing that you didn't really want to spoil and i'm sure i could have worked out how to share the journey without spoiling it but i think again it comes down to like what stance do you want to take do you want to have that big bang release where you reveal something and it's like oh wow that's amazing or do you want to bring people along with you so by the time that you release it everyone's already familiar with what it's going to be and i think it does depend on with workshop tactics the people that had the beta deck they knew what they were getting there was no there was no surprise there um and i guess with like a a, take take a blog who like waits but why like he spends ages making really high quality blog posts and people fervently like wait for them to come out and when they do it's like christmas day like oh yes we get to treat ourselves to a really nice long form funny well told like visual story Uh, and I guess the other extreme is like Seth Godin's daily blog, where he writes a few sentences, and like maybe nine out of ten are like you just read them like oh, that's interesting. But every now and then, one of those posts is like world world view changing, uh, at, in, in some respects. And
0: and he could he could choose to edit that if he wanted to, couldn't he? he could release one blog post a week and it would be guaranteed that one out of those seven would be amazing but he chooses to be transparent about the process that it isn't how he gets to it
1: yeah and i think it comes back to like the i think there is an always going to be an advantage to the free, to being more frequent and transparent than less frequent and opaque because you get that you, you, you're closer to that feedback loop, aren't you? If you're putting something out every day, you're getting, you're sensing more. You have a shorter sense sensory blah-da-blah. Blah, blah. I don't know what word I'm trying to find here. blah versus, blah blah Yeah, <laughs> versus like, a, you know, you could write a blog post and it'd fall flat and maybe you'd do some, I don't know, testing beforehand. But I feel like you have a finger on the pulse of what ideas not only resonating with your audience, but with yourself if you're publishing every day but really it comes down to habit for me, like the daily publishing, holding yourself accountable, hopefully building up an audience of people who come to expect it also um, helps, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah it, as someone who's very lazy and undisciplined, <laughs> it's been really useful to like use this X effect thing and I would recommend it. There's a subreddit. I think it's called The X Effect. Worth checking out. People posting there. X effects. The mistake I make, I tried to do it before where I tried to measure like 10 things. I was like, I was not going to, not going to have any sugar, no alcohol. I was going to do push-ups, pull-ups. I was going to read to my son. I was going to write. So I'm going to, this, this is my checklist for the day. Yeah. And every day I fail at something. And that's just so demoralizing when you're failing every day, it doesn't give you the motivation to keep going. And so I, I think it was in November when I started I said write one thing what's the one thing I want to do and that focus of writing is really helps
0: I I I tried that as well I tried too many things uh, and I I was I was speaking about this to somebody the other day I can't remember who it was now but what I what I was on about was this idea of a daily thing uh, just a thing doesn't matter what it is and this idea that we should always hold something for ourselves in every single day that we've got, a creative activity. And for you, it's writing. For me, it's a visual. For somebody else, it could be a photo, whatever. It, it doesn't matter. But there's just something really nice and really kind of magical and, and just really like soul affirming to just have that little bit of space, even 10 minutes in your day to for you to just go tick, I've created something and I, yeah, absolutely. And it's out there and it's nothing to do with your day job. It's nothing to do with anything else. It purely came from your head and you manifested it. I hate that word manifest. I don't know why I just used it, but you, (laughs) you manifested it into the world and it's just, it's just nice in it.
1: Yeah. Honestly, it's like, it's becoming a slight problem now in that I'm starting to prioritize getting my blog out more than my other work or i'm spending far too much time on my blog um so that's definitely something i'm gonna have to nip in the bud
0: that's how i felt at first when i was doing it i i I was doing it first before any of the work but i always rationalized it because it it helped me get into the mindset of doing work so for me it didn't matter which way around i do it if i if i'm doing something if i'm doing a piece of work and i'm just feeling uninspired or whatever I think it's quite nice to have that thing just sat there where I can just go, yeah, this is not working. And I know I can come up with an idea in 10 minutes for, for a visual. And it's just nice to have that thing and I can publish it. And then I get a little bit of a dopamine hit as well, because some people might like it. And
1: well, it's addictive, isn't it? I thought I found the habit of writing, you know, and I've done some visuals every now and then as well. The, the process is addicting the, the, the daily creative act. I didn't realise how much I missed it. And
0: Yeah, me too.
1: I don't know how more I can compel people to do it if you're not already, but just do something daily. It's honestly when I wake up in the morning, it's the first thing I think, like, what am I gonna write today? I don't think, oh, what do I have to do for workshop tactics or product club? Like that stuff's getting in the way of my (laughs) my writing now. And now I'm trying to think, well how do I how do I reverse engineer my life so I can just all I need to do is just write my blog. Shit, do, do I want to become a blogger? Oh my God, should I just sack off product club and workshop tactics? You've missed oh that God. boat, mate, if you oh, want to no. become a blogger. <laughs> yeah, so it's, um, yeah, it comes with its problem. They're nice problems to have, though, but yeah, it's really, it's really good.
0: Do you find now that anytime something happens in your life, you go, that'll make a good blog post?
1: Yeah, that I think that's a good thing, though, because it, there's I think it must be a Noel Gallagher quote. He says the ideas, this is paraphrased by the way, ideas are like falling from the sky and you just have to be receptive to them and like look around and catch them as they fall. And I think as you get into, you know, the rhythm of being creative every day, no matter what that is, you start to be receptive to what someone says. And that might connect with something that you thought about the other day and, You wrote about this thing, and because you thought about it a lot, it created more connections. And you're like, "Well, that's—I have an opinion on that, or I think this about this thing. I think that's worth exploring." Because I think the the uh, the great thing about writing is that it's just writing is the evidence of your thinking. Mm -hmm. And so, when something interests me, it's like, "Well, I'm going to go and write about that." But what I'm really going to what I'm really saying to myself is, "I'm going to go and think about that," and then the result is the blog post and it just clarifies your thinking. And by doing that, you then have this thing that you can say, Hey, look, this is something I've thought about. What do you think? And that, you know, it's just an exponential compounding thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So of course, when someone says, um, I don't know, I can't think of any examples now, but says something, your mind starts firing like, Oh shit, that's this thing. And it could be that. And, yeah, that, that's the other kind of magical effect I've experienced from writing. And I'm sure the same is doing visuals as well.
0: It's, I don't know why, <clears throat> I don't know why I didn't start it 10 years ago. Because, or well, I did start it 10 years ago. I've done the visual thing on a daily basis in different formats several times for years, over 15 years. But I've never stuck at it. And it's never hit the same way as it's hit this time. And I don't know why that is. I think it's maybe the simplicity or the, the the kind of base reduction that I'm going for for everything, reducing right down to the idea or maybe it's being a bit more experienced now or something. But the, the synapses that it fires in my head every day of this kind of obsessive focus to reduce an idea down to either shapes or a single visual or a visual metaphor is just so, so rewarding in my mind. And half the time they miss and people don't understand them, but I it, it, it just makes another connection in my head. And that's really valuable as a designer to be able to make those ideas quicker and quicker every time. And I don't... Someone Someone asked me the other day about the style of the, the style of visuals and I can't find my style of them and things like that. And I said, it isn't important to find your style because your style will come from your thinking. And I, I see visuals and design in very much the same way as writing. that the, the style really isn't the, the way that you write it as such. It's the things that you write about and the way that you say them. And with with the visuals, my style isn't anything special. It's, but it's, it's the things that I connect together that hopefully some other people don't find those same connections. So the, the power of the idea for me, the power of the daily thing is making these new connections with concepts and ideas that I've probably never made before. It's exactly the same with writing. They're so interchangeable. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think that's, you know, I'm in your daily visual community and I think the, there's a couple of like steps to get to where you are The first one is sort of mastering the tool because I think that's what people struggle with most. The second is probably worrying about what style you're going for, which emerges over time. But the most important and final thing is the mastery of ideas. And that only happens through, like you say, through practice of finding and learning how to use metaphor and analogy. And the the more connections you've made in your mind, the more other possibilities that your brain can easily access um there's a i don't know if you heard of Christoph neiman he's like tell me please tell me you've heard of Christoph neiman i haven't no he is like the I'm the visual to. king like if you think jack butch has got some monopoly on making visuals on twitter Christoph neiman i'll uh, i'll put the his twitter handle is abstract sunday no, it's,
0: it's, it's shit jack butch i don't like his
1: stuff <laughs> <laughs> So the, what the, there's a quote that he said. Well, it would be a quote because he said it, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> he said when people ask him, like, how did you come up with that idea? Because what he what he does is he he uses like everyday found objects and applies um, a sketch to it to make it into something new. So like his most recent one is he's used a microwave a timer and made it into a a, a chicken his most famous one that he's pinned is the um, he sketched a cyclist on a bus window and then the bus started driving off. So it looks like his um, whiteboard whiteboard marker drawing of the – of the. just go and look at it. I am. Christoph Neiman. I'm, I'm yeah.
0: looking at it, yeah. Christoph Neiman, yeah.
1: And one of the things that he says – I'm trying to get to my point. I'm waffling, aren't I? Uh, is that people ask him how do you come up with these crazy ideas? And he says, well – I don't think I have anything particularly special. I just, I think I look at the object for far longer than any sane person would.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I feel that. <laughs> and it's like, if you, when you feel like giving up, when you're com- coming up with an idea, if you persevere and then persevere again, you'll break through into something that you could only have arrived at because you spent an un- probably an unhealthy amount of time thinking about it. Um, and I think there's a lot of weight in, in that. Like ideas, some, sometimes the best ideas, like your Twitter King uh, tweet that did very well. Sometimes the best ideas just come to you, like, oh, that's I'm just going to do that, and they just happen to resonate with people because there was a perfect storm, as we were just talking about before we um, went live. There's a perfect storm that happens that just makes that idea flourish. But I still believe that sometimes the best ideas can take not only hours but days months and years of thinking for them to like coalesce and emerge
0: yeah and you by doing it daily to hammer this point on again (laughs) by doing it daily you're making those connections but you're making them stuttered and you're publishing those connections that you're making every time so that when i first started making the visuals in may I, i might have noticed a way of looking at a set of words and I've used that concept once and then I might have spotted the same way of looking at the words and used the concept again, but in a more powerful way. And then by the time I've got to eight months down the line, I've used the same concept again, but it's so reduced and so powerful that it just hits and people understand it. And that is that process in real time. I've really spent eight months at this point 10 months or whatever it is kind of meditating over a lot of concepts and the majority of the concepts is the same concept over and over inspirational or motivational or whatever but you spend so much time collectively over that time I called it design meditations and it sounds a bit wanky but it's it is
1: I remember you saying it uh, and I like the concept
0: you're you're a set of words or a concept um and I, I what I do with a lot of the ones that I do is I look at the individual words and the way that the word connects to the other word uh, and it's gonna sound like really psycho but I'll spend a couple of minutes reading the quote and then looking at it and sometimes you'll spot a connection between two of the words that you just know probably nobody else has seen before and then it makes a clever visual. But when you publish it, the visual doesn't directly relate to the quotation. But now it's a puzzle for somebody to work out. And the people who work <laughs> the puzzle out, as soon as they work that puzzle out, it's the same thing as the soul thing. And it. it's the same thing as the giving the business card to somebody and they go, oh, just that. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. They go, ah, that's, that's, that's clever. And you haven't spoon fed them it. And they, people really enjoy that.
1: It's almost like the, the act of meditating on an idea to come up with the visual for it, that is a puzzle in itself. And then you're almost trying to then make a puzzle from the puzzle you're solving, mm. if that's a, a, a way to understand it. Yeah. And so that, that moment that you found that clicked, you're merely passing on as the artist to the viewer like you found that connection and that's something that someone else can you're quite literally bottling up that feeling that you found and giving it to someone else and that's i think why we just love we just love puzzles we love working things out i've mentioned it before in uh, the data visual community about how like with films a, a screenwriter will you know there'll be a a pivotal scene towards the end where um, only the viewer has like put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Like the screenwriter knows that the puzzle is now complete, but the actors in the film have no idea. And it's that moment where it feels like only you have got it, that we just, we just love, we We love love having worked something out. And, and to be able to do that, you have to leave something
0: out to let them solve and, and that's the bit that... That's the hard bit, right? That's the hard bit, and that's the bit that you need experience to understand what bits to leave out and what bits to leave in. That's the thing you can't...
1: I don't even know if you can teach it, honestly. It's called think, tacit knowledge, where you, it's just you only know it by intuition. I think, and again, only something that you can really develop through repetition.
0: Yeah, knowing which bits to leave out for somebody to reconnect when they come back and look at it like this mm-hmm. this is like a really deep level conversation that'll go over so many people's heads but it's uh, it's interesting to have a little bit of mental masturbation over it
1: <laughs> i haven't heard that term in a while
0: uh, i want to before we go because we've gone for yep. an hour and five It's it's been really fun but i want to ask some of these questions that you got on twitter because okay. I, a, every episode i ask people on twitter for questions uh, and I'm, I've, I've had all sorts of other people on and nobody's ever answered but you they have for you so you're obviously a mini celebrity that I'm not aware of
1: <laughs> yeah I'm, I'll join you in that
0: <laughs> so um I, I really like this question from Matt Harriman um he's, he's talking about this idea that you you blogged about this productive discomfort and and you said aim for productive discomfort things are easy when they're familiar things get hard when they're unfamiliar and you talked about straddling the two zones Uh, and he said interest to hear more about ways to stay in the zone of just enough discomfort so this idea of productive discomfort
1: yeah so this came about um we had a session in products club the community that workshop tactics kind of sits in um and we had a session on user story mapping with a guy called Tom Kerwin, and the idea spurred from him. Really, he said to me, "Well, said to us in the in the in the meetup that the best way to introduce a new concept to someone, an unfamiliar concept, is to show them the unfamiliar concept with something that they're familiar with. So, if you were to explain, um, I don't know, systems thinking, you could use like." how coffee is made is a way of describing how systems work and that becomes learnable and not completely daunting because you understand like what goes into making coffee but you don't understand how this systems methodology works but seeing how they kind of both come together makes it easier to understand and that kind of led me to think about well whenever you're Whenever you're like learning in the flow state, I think someone else posted on that Twitter thread about like it's used um, in education theory as well and game theory is yeah. that you, you learn best when you're in that flow state where the difficulty is just so that you'll feel like you're making progress, but it's not too easy that it's, there's just no reward to it. To answer the question of how to stay in that state, I don't know, I think it's like um, the best way I can think about it is from my own experience is that if you are the person holding the like a weight on a piece of string and that is pendulum swinging between the two states I don't think you can like precision point yourself into that like cross section like, so easily I think you have to Slowly, kind of pivot between the two, and just try and slowly come into focus on something. As you're working on it, you, f- I think it's just a, an intuitive thing. I can't uh, rightly say how to get into that zone. Try and find when, the edges. Yeah, well, find something. If you're struggling with something, try and find something that you're familiar with, and see how that applies to it. Um, like I was, I've never designed a box before, but I've done print design so I was familiar with how to um, like do print design work but I'd never made like a net box before but I knew how to print stuff out and stick them together so there was bits that I had knowledge about that you kind of use to your advantage Um, I guess you just know like if you already know the stuff then it's going to seem easy to you if you're completely out of your depth then you just your brain just shuts down. I think you do feel you feel like you're in the zone when someone's explaining it to you and metaphors and analogies. If someone's explaining to you something with metaphor and analogy, then that's why that works so well. Is because it's using something familiar and unfamiliar. I haven't really got a good answer for that one.
0: <laughs> I, I, I don't know if this is appropriate. Tell me if it's wrong, but I like the concept of just in time learning for this. So the idea that you have a goal to learn something, and I always think you should have a project for the thing as well that you're trying to learn, and you only learn the thing you need to learn when you need to learn it at the point, right at the point. So,
1: no, I think I think I'm on the same camp as you. I mean, with workshop tactics, I only needed to learn how to get a warehouse to like look after the products and ship them out when it got to the point where the manufacturer was asking me like, well, okay, where are we sending these to? It was only at that point that I thought, okay, shit, I need to actually work out how I'm going to send these every day whilst being able to go on holiday or whatever. So yeah, I'm completely with you. And that and that, being in that moment, that urgency to learn that thing puts you a little bit out of your comfort zone as well, I think helps. Otherwise you could just like learn at your own leisure for a year and then never find the need to use it.
0: Yeah, that, that's the idea of uh, learning for fun versus learning for something useful. I, I mm-hmm. don't understand the idea of learning anything for fun. If you're learning something for fun, it isn't learning. It's entertainment, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I suppose so. Or a pastime, like you'd learn to knit so you can knit and then you're knitting
0: great. Well, I, I don't even think it's that, though, because if you learn to knit and then you knit, that's fine. But if you're learning about, I don't know... 16th century Victorian history, but have no intention of ever applying it to anything. Uh, you're not a pub quiz expert or something like that. If it, it feels like to me, at least, it feels like a waste of time that you, you're learning. We, we all know that kind of person who, whenever you say anything to them, they go, "Oh yeah, did you know this fact about him?" I'm like, I don't give a shit. It's, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> I don't say that to the face, but you do you know what i mean it it feels like the full of this pointless knowledge and i always think well what if you just didn't have the pointless knowledge and you've left some room in your brain for some useful knowledge and how much time have you spent learning about 16th century victorian times and what could you done in that time that would have been useful (laughs) maybe that says more about me than other people
1: (laughs) well it's it's learning something applicable isn't it like if you're learning about something that you know, you're never going to use, you are just doing it for your own entertainment, aren't you? Like people read history books because they like to learn about history and that's fine. Um, So I probably wouldn't even put those in in the same category as productive discomfort. Like, I don't think that's uh, in the same realm at all. That's like unproductive comfort, I guess. Yeah.
0: And then to finish it off, let's, let's go to Ian's question. So Ian asked, this is a big bloody topic, this one ian asked ideation do you have a process to come up with ideas for personal products i guess the the way to frame the question would be how did you come up with the idea for workshop tactics and how did and how many other ideas were there at that point and and how did you settle on that one i suppose that'd be a way to frame it that might work
1: no that's a good question i luckily unlike the last question i have a pretty concrete answer for this one. Um, So the story of workshop tactics is, and this should hopefully answer the question of how to come up with ideas, um, was throughout my career, I'd learned how to run these workshops, and I'd started contracting. So kind of going out on my own, going into organisations, and I happened to be at a a bank in the UK, um, working in their digital team. And it was the first time I'd worked anywhere where people, everyone was wearing suits. It was very weird. And my first day, I was kind of pulled into a meeting and I kind of impromptuly ran a workshop, uh, just like an ideation workshop, um, just to you know, help them come up with some ideas for something. And every person in that room, you know, with their kind of arms crossed, like, who's this guy not wearing a suit? Getting us to come up with, uh, getting us to draw stuff and ideas. What the hell is all this? Like, they've all got the laptops out and their big planners and, you know, their cups of coffee. They were not ready for this kind of thing at all. Anyway, half an hour goes by and we've like, everyone's come up with like 10 ideas each. So there's like 50 ideas combined in that room. And everyone's buzzing like after that meeting or workshop, if you want to call it that. And they just couldn't believe that they could do that. And, that moment kind of clicked for me, and it was like, well, how many other people just don't know how easy it is to like add structure to a, a session and like make it really useful? Um, and the, the design team I was working with, they kept asking me, like, how do you know how to run these workshops? And like, more importantly, how do you know when to run them? And I was like, I don't know. I just like i just got a bunch in in my head that i go to every now and then for whatever kind of you know where i google them or i got their own books um so i was like well what if i like put them all the best ones together for you and then you have that so when i'm gone because my contract will be up soon when i'm gone you'll have all the stuff that i have been using and so that was like where the idea came from it 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 emerged from I guess seeing several instances several instance, instances where workshops resonated with people and then also hearing and seeing the need very key word there is the need for this because ideas I believe should try and solve either solve a problem or improve uh, a situation of some sort and that was kind of it it's like okay well that's that's a neat idea and it, there's another part of that question, which was, "How many ideas did you, you know, did you have?" I think that was your question, Craig.
0: Yeah.
1: And the funny thing about workshop tactics, and this is also a good kind of barometer for how good I think an idea is, and that's a whole other topic. Is is there such a thing as a good idea or a bad idea? Only the execution. It was an idea I just couldn't shake. I kind of use the analogy of like a stone in your shoe. You just it's just annoys you because it's there. I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, And so to solve that problem, I just started doing it, came up with the name. I was fanning around with the logo, obviously is the first thing that you do. (laughs) Uh, You know, I started making a website and hadn't even crossed my mind to make cards at that point. Um, But I spent like two weeks pissing around making code for a website with no content, I was just making a filter system. I just pissed away so much time on that. I ended up deleting it in frustration and said, "Right, fuck it. I'm just going to write the cards. Like, let's write the actual content." You absolute procrastinating bastard! <laughs> so, I, so, so then, so then, I, so then I did. And to take the daily habit thing, just to kind of round off that point, the way I, I managed to write all that content in a fairly short time frame was that as I was commuting every day, I'd get out my laptop on a very crowded train and I would do 10 minutes every morning and then 10 minutes every way on, on the way back. And those 10 minutes each way added up over 30 days into a lot of content. Um, and it helped me avoid talking to people that I, I knew and that sort of thing. So there had other benefits, but yeah, the ideas emerge from listening and sensing what's going on and paying attention, I think. And a good idea won't leave you alone.
0: Yeah, I, I I feel that strongly. I very rarely write ideas down in in anywhere. I just, if the idea won't leave me alone, I do something with it. Or if I think in the moment the idea is amazing, I'll do it at that right, right at that point in time. doesn't matter what else is going on. I'll just do it or I'll set a reminder in my calendar for a couple of hours time when I have time free to just do it. Uh, I, I think I don't want to go into this topic too deep because we need to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I, I do actually feel that with an idea, the longer time frame you have from initially thinking about the idea to actually executing it, I think the idea gets worse no matter how good the idea was at the beginning. Do, do you you've got it?
1: you've yeah you've got a window to act on that idea before yeah. the idea starts sounding not as good or you need to like take advantage of your naivety and uh, excitement for it.
0: Yeah because you start well, to think of all the negatives otherwise yeah, you're like I could absolutely. never do this. If you would have yeah. done that with workshop taxis you would be like I know nothing about warehouses I know nothing about how to make a box I can't make stuff ship from China and you would have just said now nah, I'm not doing this.
1: Yeah. I mean, th- you yeah, know, there were times once you, were, this is the thing, like once you're on that journey and you've committed, you know, the sunk, sunk cost fallacy, you don't want to give up because you've already given time to it. There were times where I started seeing other products and other websites where they were doing similar things. I just kept thinking, Oh, why the fuck am I doing this? If everyone else is fucking doing it. <laughs> uh, and I don't know who told me this, but someone said, well, no one, no one called Charles Bidette's done it. So, you know, you do you. Uh, I thought that's a, it's a good way of looking at like the competition is no one can do what you're going to do. uh, And that kind of helped me not worry about that. But if I had learned that early on about like, oh, there's all this stuff. Have you not seen this stuff before? I would have been like, oh yeah, there's no point doing it. It's all been done before. There's no way, no better way to kill an idea than to see someone else having done it already really well.
0: (laughs) Uh, I think that's a beautiful way to end. I don't think you're going to say anything more sage-like in this episode, Charles.
1: Okay, um, we'll leave it there.
0: Yeah, uh, thanks so much for that. That's That was awesome. We ran to nearly an hour and a half. Um, well, thanks,
1: Greg. It's, it's, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you.
0: We, we'll we definitely chat again about some other stuff because there's so much other stuff to talk about, about design and ideas and blah, 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 and all this stuff.
1: Yeah, it's an endless stream. If only we could do it over a beer, that would be great.
0: I don't know. Right. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much.
1: Cheers, Craig.